0: This is Archery Unfiltered, where I, Wendell Souza, cover California archery events and what it takes to make you a better archer. Archery Unfiltered is back! What's up, fuckos? How's everybody doing? I'm going to do an episode early this week. Uh, normally, I try to cut these things on Thursday. Not that you guys give a shit, but... It's uh, Wednesday night, Uh, I'm planning on going to Lake Tahoe for a little bit, get a little vacation time in with the family, but uh, until then, I'll fill you guys in on what's been going on uh, in my tiny world, Uh, I've been practicing a little bit, you know, some would call that cheating, you know, others would say it's just preparing yourself, um... Interesting, interesting stuff. I've been throwing down like pretty, I'm not, you know, I'll just say decent scores, scores that I would deem decent for myself. And uh, earlier in the month, or maybe last month, I had only been practicing about once a week. It would be on like a Saturday. And I was throwing down like really, I'm not going to say like really good scores, but I was throwing down scores I was very happy with. Uh, scores that I feel like could hang on a good day. If, if I could put those down on a good day, I could hang. Um, You know, with that being said, I started doing some fiddling with things. Uh, I think it was like a cup, maybe like a month ago, I was, like the big thing that I was working on was getting my bow set up the way I wanted. And it's, it's kind of a rarity, but... I was able to set up my bow and not have like a ton of tweaks to it afterwards i i kind of fiddled around with stabilizers and weights um but much less than i normally do uh people that know me will know that i will mess around with weights for the whole damn season you know uh sometimes i can pull my head out of my ass and figure it out figure out what kind of weights to run uh You know, if you've listened to any of my other episodes, it's no secret that I believe that the weights in your stabilizer are, like, probably the second most important thing on your bow. Possibly the first most important thing as far as, um, you know, the feel of your bow and getting it to execute the way you want. uh, Or it allowing you to execute the way you want, I should say. It's pretty much, you know... The interface with the bow is like heavily altered uh, based on how you set up your bars and stuff. So I didn't spend all that much time. Well, that's not true. I'll say I spent like two weeks. But it was during this time where I really was not. I was maybe shooting once a week, you know. and oh, We'll say three weeks because I think it took three days to do it. But uh, I tied my peep sight in. I tied it in lower than usual. Um because I'm not sure if I've mentioned this on an earlier podcasts, but I have a theory about indoor and it might not just be indoor, it might be everything. It might be theta archery, also compound archery, but um this is gonna sound really funny, but I was at a party a couple years ago, and stop me if you've heard this story, but a couple years ago I was at a party and uh I think it was during indoor season and the thing that I was struggling with was pushing shots out the bottom. Um, at the time, you know, I, I was shooting fairly decent scores. I think I could throw down 300s. But the thing that I struggled with was pushing shots out the bottom. And, I mean, some of you guys might know what that what that feels like or what I'm talking about. But it's kind of like, say you're shooting good and you got the pin on and you're pulling. I mean, this is going to relate more to hinge shooters than most, but, but say you're pulling to get that release to go and it's not going. So you give it like some extra juice, um, to get it to go. And, um, you know, you end up pulling too hard and blasting a shot out the bottom or you pull your bow out the bottom. Well, Uh, I was struggling with that. And it wasn't happening every game, but it was happening enough to be on my mind. It was the thing that was costing me. So, uh, you know, I was at a party. I believe I was in Santa Cruz. And uh, I don't advise that anyone do this. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I think I got a crying baby. I'll be right back. Alright guys, I'm sorry, I'm back. Had to go uh, dance a baby to sleep again. Let's see, where was I? Oh yeah, so some people like indoor, some people like field archery better. Just kidding. Um, I was at this party in Santa Cruz, and, you know, I don't know how this is going to make everyone look at me. I have a vague idea, but I was huffing nitrous, okay, for, uh, for... Some of, you know, for the old ladies that listen to this, huffing nitrous means I was inhaling large quantities of nitrous gas. And you don't hallucinate or anything. You just, your brain goes numb for a minute. Uh, About a minute, depending on how, you know, how little oxygen you take in. Um, It's probably bad for you. It's probably not the greatest. So... I was huffing nitrous and pretty much most of the people at this party had passed out one way or another. And I was watching. So, you know, I'm watching, uh, I believe it was the world archery finals in Vegas. I think it's that's what it was. World archery indoor finals in Vegas. And, um, I think it was the Chris Schaff versus Jesse Broadwater. Um, I think that's what it was. And it was Khrushchev, is who I was watching. And I had noticed that his scope was way low on his sight bar. And I was like, what the? F-? Like, you know, most of the time that I'm shooting, my scope is like run way up. You know, you know where your 20 yard mark is. If you do everything right for field, your 20 yard mark is like up there towards the top of your site and then you know it gives you plenty of yardage um and i'm looking at shafts and his is like where my 50 yard uh or 60 yard uh site mark would be or you know where your scope is located on your sight bar i don't know if that's the correct thing site bar the you know the vertical part of your site and uh I had this, like, nitrous-fueled revelation. Like, holy shit. I know why he's why he's set up like this, right? Because if you just say, you know... I know people got indoor bows and outdoor bows, but if you shoot your outdoor bow really good, when you intuitively set your indoor bow up similar... I mean, maybe you change your draw length a little bit. But what is it? Like, if I were going to ask you, put you on the spot right now... uh. You're going to shoot only 20 yards. What would you do on your bow to change it so that your sight would be like halfway down? I mean, your scope would be halfway down your sight. The only thing I can think of would be to either load up an arrow with a metric ton of weight in the point. But even then, that might only get you to the 30 mark. 40 mark um the other thing would be your peep sight and lowering your peep sight and uh i was thinking like well why would he do that why would anyone lower their peep sight and then i started thinking about it do you guys think of when you're shooting field archery and you're shooting uh a 20 yard target or one of the birdies something really close right you are kind of aiming downward. You notice that? And because the arrow, that when an arrow's coming off your bow, it's kind of arcing up. And at really close ranges, I mean, it could be arcing forward. You know, it could be like a laser beam straight line out forward that kind of is going up. But if things are set up right, or if you've got a tiny draw length like me and you've got to lob arrows over, uh, it's at the beginning of the arc. Right, so you have to aim downward, like not. I'm not saying like aim at your feet, but bear with me here. You're aiming somewhat downward to hit that twenty yard. So it would not be, you know. I mean, I guess you're aiming straight, but your arm is pointed downward more. And I'm looking at this, you know, I freeze frame and I'm watching Chris Shaw as the world is going like "Whoa, whoa 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 whoa. And I notice his arm is not pointed downward. It's pointed straight. And then I had this idea. I will move my, you know, peep sight down until uh, my arm is straight. Or basically is what it is is when you break and you have a follow through. You have two follow throughs, right? You have your, your bow hand follow through and you got your release hand follow through, right? And it doesn't have to be exaggerated, it doesn't have to be huge. But you know, if you're putting some forward pressure on the bow and you're putting backward pressure on your release, when the thing breaks, you should, you know, move a little bit past those points. So if you're pointing if your bow arm is pointing down, it makes sense in my mind that when you are struggling and you're logging up and then you push hard, you're pushing at a downward angle. And then you're breaking that arrow out the bottom. You're pushing your pit, your sight out the bottom. So I thought oh, I'll lower my peep. So that my arm is straight. Or more straight. It doesn't have to be perfectly straight. Because I'd imagine it goes the opposite way. Where you're shooting at the top. But you can adjust your peep sight. For your follow through. And this is true. This is real and I've done this. After having that nitrous experience, I went home, lowered my peep sight, and it made a world of fucking difference. So much so that I kind of play with going the other way with things now where, you know, maybe I push a shot out the top. I, you know, I'm still a noob at figuring all this shit out. And I'm sure there are pros out there that are like, dude, you're overthinking this shit to a ridiculous level. But what I'm telling you is real. And if you've ever pushed a shot out the bottom, look at where your site is located. And if it's way up there, if it's on the north side of your bar, I like, boom, there you have it. And so, yeah, uh, for indoor, one of the things I always set up, well, I'll run my my peep low for this follow-through. If you can follow through... It doesn't have to be like a perfectly horizontal line, but if you can follow through in a way where you're not pushing things at the bottom or pushing things at the top, you drastically reduce uh you know, these error chances or hang-ups that you might get. And what I've noticed is you might set your peep there, right? And you might be set up for an arrow. But say you try a new arrow build, right? That arrow build might be in a a different, you know, it might be another 20 clicks in your site. Are you still in that sweet spot, that breaking sweet spot? So it's just something to be mindful of when setting up your bow for indoor. And um, I honestly believe if you can still make it to 101 yards, you don't have to change your peep outside of this. Now, people are going to disagree with me. That's fine. You can disagree with me. Uh, after. Outdoor seasons or after indoor seasons over, I'll try this exact bow. I tied my peep sight in like Fort Knox on this on this indoor bow. I'll just run the same setup for field or safari, and I'll give you guys an honest, you know, the honest feedback. The as Greg Pool calls the straight dope on um, on this setup, because I I think bow setups, indoor outdoor bow setups are a little overthought. And I know I'm saying this after I just told you some huge overthinking that I've done. But uh, I think that one, that shit's for real. That thing I just said is for real. About the peep height. Alright. A lot of what we're doing in this indoor season is kind of shoring up your your game. Like, I love... Indoor season, because you're shooting like in free space you're shooting in a vacuum, so you can see all your all your problems, all the little things that you're doing that aren't helping you it's all right there, and there's no you know you can't blame it on a side hill or wind or maybe someone farted behind you while you're executing, and none of that like you are well, I guess that could still happen actually, but I mean, indoor is so awesome. Because you really get to analyze what's going on. And so that brought me towards like um, the arrow, like arrow builds, right? One thing I freaking love about indoors is fucking around with arrow builds. You can get so many different types of arrows to fly certain ways that are all either advantageous or not to your shooting style. And um, what's important... Is that you set your bow up first, and what people mean is, like, people are probably like, "Well, what do you mean, like, shoot a bullet hole?" Well, yeah, if you can. Most importantly, is you want to set your bow up so that you can break middle, and again, that's we're going back to stabilizers here. Um, the reason for that being is you want to be able to break middle, and if the arrow is. I stop messing with arrows when I can predict where that arrow is going to land, based on where I break my shot. Right? If I break a shot at ten o'clock on the line, and that arrow lands ten o'clock on the line, that's what I want. I don't want something where I break, I break nine o'clock in the yellow. I'm sorry, nine ring yellow, and it lands X. that that's where this whole concept of forgiveness is flawed to me. What forgiveness is, is you not being punished for tiny flaws, right? Say you're holding X and you jerk your hand out to nine o'clock, 10. And then the shot breaks. Well, did that arrow land nine o'clock, 10 ring, or did it land nine o'clock, nine? If it lands nine o'clock, nine, it lands further out than where it broke something needs to be adjusted. I figure if it's if you're holding good and you're breaking good and that happens, it, the arrow needs to be examined at that point, right? Um it's just I I just kind of realized today that I naturally I'm no longer tinkering with my bow and I I think back to what John Weaver was saying when I interviewed John Weaver uh he was like i really don't he's like i set it up i don't fuck around with stuff a whole bunch and then i just shoot until my body figures out what i need to do and i haven't been putting down like an insane number of arrows but i have been shooting a lot and not tinkering and my body seems to be adjusting like i'm much more confident and my pin float is better I'm breaking. I mean, I still get hung up with a hinge release, but I'm breaking shots where I want them to break. So, I could say the bow is tuned. Um, that kind of segues into well, okay. What if the arrow doesn't land where you want it to? Well, now we get into the arrow tuning part. <clears throat> you kind of have to tune a bunch of stuff here, right? One's the bow. Two is the arrow. Three is you as a shooter. And it's not in any particular order here. I mean, it probably should go you or bow first, you second, arrows third, or you first. I don't care. Whatever. I, and, you know, again, people out there listening might take, um, you know, they might be like, well, I disagree. That's fine. You're allowed to disagree. This is America. Uh, I promise I won't get offended. Um... Just don't just don't text me while I'm changing a diaper. Um, but anyway. Kind of getting sidetracked here. Okay. So say you, your bow is holding where you want it to. And I know a bunch of you are probably going, Well, wait, 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 wait. The bow's not holding the way I want it to. It's not breaking where I want it to. Well, let's just pretend for a second that it is. Okay. Um, but the arrows aren't landing. See, even if you get your bow holding the way you like it, there's still one more step that you got to go and that's getting the arrows to behave to to get to this predictable zone where you can break an air, you know, break a shot and the arrow lands where you want it to. Now there's two ways you can go about it. The first is the easy way. All right. And that's for indoor. Say so you're going to shoot a 23 diameter arrow. 23, 12 is a good example of an easy arrow to get to fly good. You guys want if you want a an easy arrow, Easton twenty three twelve, two hundred grain point, bam, heavy arrow, it's gonna rock your socks off. It's not perfect, but it is good enough to where it will impress most people, right? Maybe twenty three fourteen depending on how long your arms are, you know? Um but that's the first, you know, right out of the gate. If you want to go that extra step, say you're like, okay, no, I want 27s. Well, here's the thing Paul Tedford, right? Used to be a 2312 Loyalist. All right, 2315, I think. Basically, he was a 23 diameter Loyalist. As a pro, he would shoot 23 diameter arrows. And his buddy, Stefan Hansen, was like, dude, you got to get on to 27s. And he was like, no, I don't like tuning them. They're not forgiving and stefan hansen was like well you're just not doing it right and then he worked some kind of magic worked some kind of voodoo spell did a chicken dance the Paul tedford figured out how to do 27s right how to tune them 27s are their own beast compared to 23s and i think i figured it out but i don't i can't tell you for sure all right um a friend of mine just messaged me recently. Messaged me today. So here's the thing. I, I don't know if in the last podcast with Rudy, I may have said some stuff that is not true. <laughs> I'll put money on it that I probably did. But um, I don't know if I shit on speed for an indoor arrow Because Rudy was talking about his Super drives being really fast. His Super Drive 23s. I really want Rudy to shoot a different arrow because... Although his Superdrive 23s are fast, the group, I, I can look at the group that is printing is pretty big, but Rudy is, a, he's so stubborn. He's like, nah, I'm going to rock these for whatever, you know, he might try some twenty three twelves or a different arrow, but the 27 is what I'm getting at. I want him to shoot a 27. I'm shooting 27s. I have fucked around with both aluminum and carbon, and here's what I have figured out. You tune them differently. And most people are like, no shit, Wendell. Really? Um, oh, wait. Wait, 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 wait. I forgot. Someone wrote to me. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to tell you guys. This is all leading up. These, these things are all connected. A friend of mine named Kenny messaged me. Um, wait, let me make you that. Yeah. Kenny said, uh, hey, I just finished your last podcast with Rudy. Great info. You said that speed for an indoor arrow doesn't matter. But are you ta- taking into account the archer's ability to make a good shot? For example, I'm a mid to high 280 shooter. I have two sets of 23s, Black Eagle Challengers, Gold Tip 93 Pro. I have shot both for several years and find that the lighter challengers score better. I have the challengers cut to 26.5 with 120 green points. With the Gold Tips, I started at 29 and 130 grain point and moved all the way up to 250 grains. They are now cut to 27.5 with 130 grains. Time and time again, the lighter and faster challengers score better. My theory is, the faster arrow is off the string faster, negating a lot of last-second movements after the release has let go of the string. Dude. Um, yes. I agree with all that. He says, What are your thoughts? I would assume that speed doesn't matter for archers of your level. <laughs> well, I can't thank you, but it does. All right. Anyone who's anyone that sees me shoot sees me do a lot of weird, like like uh, like English, or I heard someone call it onion. It's where they sometimes I'll shoot and I will pick my bow up like like I'm trying to lift my arrow up. Um, I do think speed matters. I think people that shoot a heavy arrow that have a really committed shot and follow through. Um maybe it doesn't matter as much for them. You know? For a guy like me, it definitely does. I'm not whatever you think I am, Kenny. Uh I'm a very I mean, I just told you know, I just told you that I huffed nitrous like not more than a few years ago. I doubt my brain cells are all back from that yet. So, uh it's funny that you messaged me this. I, I don't remember saying this in the last podcast with Rudy, but it wouldn't be the first time I said some shit that I don't agree with, right? I say shit that I disagree with all the time, but, uh, let me explain. I've been shooting Superdrive 27s, right? And I was going to start with a basic, what I call the Emerson build, which is the 200 grain point on the 30 inch carbon shaft, right? Uh, this is normally, I wouldn't, you know, Master Emmy used to run this. It was on a triple X, a gold tip triple X. Well, the Superdrive 27 looks pretty much like a gold tip triple X knockoff. I know Rudy's going to say, no, that's not true. Uh, for the sake of this episode, let's just say it's a triple X. Well, what do you know? Triple X points fit in it. Awesome. So, that's the first thing I did was I put triple X points in it because they're adjustable. And yet now Easton has this adjustable point system too late, too late, too little, too late. I already got my triple X points in there. I'm rocking. So the first thing I did was I bare shaft tested all these different point weights to see if the point weight alone shrunk the groups. And I saw that like 220 seemed to be the best group, but they're really, they're really all the same. Um fletched them up i did four fletch uh hard helical in the direction at the bear shaft spun right um I tested a bunch of different veins uh, put q two i three and a half inch vanes on. I thought I had ordered four inch, but they were actually three and a halves. I put those on, and holy crap, the groups tightened up like well relative to what I was running before, which was like f f p three sixties flex fletch 360s Um, the groups got insanely tight and then I started testing them against veins that I knew worked for me in the past like the AAE Stealth Pro the AAE uh, you know I can't remember the long 4 inch one whatever veins I had laying around and I got a shitload of veins laying around Um, I started fletching them up super drives and seeing which ones in the 4 fletch configuration worked better Dude, the Q2i 3.5 was the winner. Um, and it was very comfortable. I was like, holy crap. This is... Uh, like, the arrow's landing where I want. Until... um, What did I... Oh, no, wait. No, I'm fast-forwarding a little bit. I was at 200 grains. I took 20 grains off. That I had 180 grain points, right? Just to see what would happen. Nothing. They they still flew great, right? Everything was awesome. I was noticing that when I had a very slight. If I broke the shot while my pin was floating up, it could be X to like X10 liner, right? That arrow would be way up. It that it would land like you know, ten barely touching ten ten ring. And um at this point I've paper tuned everything. So I know some people the way they would approach that is to group tune, which is basically you bump your rest in a direction and then see if the problem goes away. I've never really done that because one it'll affect your paper tear, right? Maybe it won't if you just give it the lightest nudge. Um, But I'm, I'm like, oh, I always want to figure out what what is the thing that's causing that. For sure it's me doing that slight uphill, you know, the slight up motion before I break the shot. But it shouldn't be way the fuck out of there, you know? Or it shouldn't be like just grabbing the 10 ring. So one of the things that I, you know, I was like, okay, well... Let's see. Let's try something. I shot... A, another cool thing. So, I've been practicing in the morning, right? Not to beeline too far out of this. But I practice in the morning at like 5 a.m. It is fucking dark outside. I have sp- I have a little shop light set up at my target. And then I shoot out of my basement. It is dark. I can not see my bubble most of the times. So, I'm, I'm really trying to steady the bow just on feel. Um... And, uh, I remember Ben Hobbs said, you know, if you want to practice, you got to make time to practice. So this is my time it's 5am. <laughs> um, so just going off a of feel, you know, if you got your bar set up in a comfortable way, you should be able to, you know, get to level your bow before you break it. Well, these high shots would keep occurring. And I'm like, man, I'm like canting the bow. I ended up installing a little light in the the basement so I could just make out my bubble. I'm, you know, help me lev- make sure everything's level when I break shots. Um, wacky. Could not figure it out. Every, say, 20th arrow would be like this 1 or 12 or 11 hanger. And uh, I figured, well, it's in. Maybe I just got to figure out how to not do this upward thing that I'm doing. But everything else is holding so good. It's just like a momentary frustration. And then uh, I thought, you know what? What if I kicked the weights off? And I think I, I can't remember what weights I put on. But basically what it comes to is I have 140 grain points in my SuperDrive 27. That problem is gone. I still do. On that twentieth arrow or so, that slight upward creep, and then the shot breaks. I mean, keep in mind, it's creeping up and breaking in between the x and the ten. all right This is not like it's breaking in the nine, I'm like, "Oh, come on, get in there um it's just on the way up. I can feel myself, everything's holding good, you know i'm I'm in the process of executing, and then you know a pin just drifts upward a little bang. it is now x ten it's right where the freaking pin was when it broke, and it this arrow is a twenty seven superdrive twenty seven with a hundred and forty grain point in my mind that is unheard of because I've never run a twenty seven diameter arrow with anything less than two hundred grain points, so you know my man you know Kenny brought it up I'd have to agree there is something to speed. I have a very short draw length. I think I'm 26 and a half, uh, you know, maybe 26 and three quarters, you know, uh, when the sun's out. Um, so maybe, maybe for me, that lighter point gets me to a speed where most of you regular arm, you know, regular length arm people hang out at maybe, I don't know, I truly don't know, but I do know adjusting my point changed my bear shaft quite a bit. Uh, am I going to adjust anything to... No. No. That super drive is everything I want it to be right now. Um, my buddy gave me... My buddy Rudy Sandoval gave me six uh, Easton 2712s. Right? They're full length. Uh, unfucked with car, uh, aluminum shafts. almost said carbon. Um, and he gave them to me on my daughter's birthday. Or on a party that we, we're having for. Her. So I was going to make some. My daughter's name is Elaine. So I, I called them Laney Arrows. I made six Laney Arrows. And they are pink. You know, I put pink. Three and a half QTY. So right now, I'll tell you guys. I am a... Fucking diehard Q2I loyalist. I am running the three and a half inch Q2I four-fletch on everything. And when field archer, you know, when outdoor season kicks off, I'm putting four-fletch Q2Is on everything. If anyone knows the good people at Q2I, oh, tell them that I want a sponsorship from them. And if they don't want to sponsor me because I'm just a fucking Yahoo, eh, I, I understand. Maybe a show endorsement type thing that would be cool, but um I love these veins they 're legit they got a big rubbery foot, so when you put glue on them and stick them to something, they stick like a starfish it 's insane um anyway again i'm getting all sidetracked. I got twenty seven twelves um they're aluminum full length, and I was you know browsing through instagram and Uh, I follow a guy named, I think his name's Gaius Carter, right? I just follow archery people. I don't know who they are, right? I'm sure they are more well-known, famous people than myself. But I just follow people just to see what people are doing. And Gaius Carter is like, I finally found some full-length 2712s. Can't wait to shoot these. I was like, dude, that guy's shooting full lengths. Like, that's nuts. I know most people shoot thirty-two inches and not full length, um, thirty-two at the most. And you know, I've had good luck with thirty-one and a quarter. Uh, I think thirty-one and a quarter was the Broadwater length. I can't remember. But then I thought, eh, well, you know, I have my Super Drive set up. My my arrows for competing are done. They're dialed in. This is a, another 27 diameter arrow. I won't have to adjust my rest or anything, you know. Should be, should be right in there the same as far as a paper tune goes. Eh, maybe not, but it should be close. So I built full length 27-12s. And I'll tell you the, the reason behind it. But anyway, I went, um, you know, the veins I like. I push them far forward enough so that they don't touch my face. I have a huge fat Asian face, so they touch everything. All right. And people are going to be like, hey, that's racist. I am actually half Asian, and it's all in my cheeks. All right. It's my cheeks and my lack of nose point, like nose point, make it so I have to bury my face on the string, and I get all kinds of lip and cheek and stubble on my veins. Well, I start pushing these veins far forward. And until they, I don't get any contact at all. Um, it might be a reason why I'm having better results with four fletch because they're far forward now. And I know, I think it's said that when veins are pushed far forward, they have less leverage on spinning the arrow. I don't know how true that is, but I think Dan McCarthy said that you want to run them as far back as possible. Um, but anyway, four fletch seems to make up for it. Ran a full length, and I put a hundred and eighty grain point in there, and I'm gonna try a hundred and fifty grain point pretty soon. And most people are like, "Dude, that's way too light," and for aluminums that might be, which is why I kept these arrows full length. So, before I tell you like why I think this well, I'll tell you why I think this. I have 2312s also. And you guys, I might have talked about this in my podcast with Rudy. I'm going to talk about more stuff and not just rehash old stuff, but my 2312s shoot like shit with 100 grain points. They shoot like <laughs> they shoot amazing with 200 grain points, right? Or 180 grain points. They shoot amazing. Um so why? Why is that that on the aluminum arrow going up in weight makes it shoot better? Point weight specifically. And why is it that on a carbon arrow, a carbon twenty seven, I can drop the weight, nothing happens? Well, I started looking up, uh, just between carbon and aluminum, the different characteristics of the two materials, right? And there's something called an elastic modulus, and I, I know, <laughs> I know people out there that know stuff <laughs> are like, ooh, let's hear them fuck this one up. <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I think. If you think of an elastic modulus, I know modulus is like the flexibility of something, and I think it's confused a lot. I, I remember in composite, I took a composites class in college. Um, it's confused a lot with strength, but I think it has something to do with failure, like flexibility and failure. And uh, the elastic modulus makes me think of, you know, bending something and then it returning back to zero. The aluminum arrow has a much lower number for the elastic modulus. So it makes me think that aluminum snaps back to a zero point much faster than a carbon arrow of the same dimensions. Maybe a carbon arrow oscillates longer. And if you consider that the 2712 and a SuperDrive 27 are ultimately spined the same, which means they move the same amount of, you know, whatever distance with X amount of weight. You you know what I mean. You guys know how they test spine, right? They hang a weight on the middle of a shaft. You know, a shaft is suspended from, you know, a 28-inch point on the shaft. They hang a weight on it. And then the amount that that shaft bends, that's the spine designation. Um, well, SuperDrive 27s and 2712s are ultimately spined the same. So, why would they react so fucking differently? If it is something to do with this elastic modulus, right? And my theories, my wacky idea is correct. It would mean that the carbon bends. It, it, it still bends the same amount, right? Because it's spined the same. But maybe it takes longer for that carbon arrow to return to zero. And it still keeps wobbling. Whereas aluminum snaps back to zero right away. So you need a heavier point to keep that arrow bending longer. Huh? Maybe. So when I built these these 2712s, I left them full length. Because everyone knows that the longer that arrow is, the more flexy it's going to be. Left at full length, and then I put a lighter point in it to kind of get some speed out of it. I've never run anything less than 200, especially on an aluminum arrow. I'm shooting 180s now, and I'm telling you, the Laney arrows are the best. Like, those are the kings right now. It's goofy because they're pink, but um, they're cool. They, They hit middle. That's what's cool about them. Uh, I will test 150 grains, and I'll let you guys know how that's going. But a full-length 2712 with 180 grains, it works. I'm telling you, I'm testing it. It works. Do they need to be 34 inches long? Probably not. You could probably cut them and not sacrifice anything. How much, you know, you're asking me, hey, how much can I cut them? I don't fucking know. I don't have a saw in my in my little basement area. And even if I did, I'm not going to be hacking up arrows when my kid's trying to sleep. You know, I can barely get away with shooting. So for now, this is what I'm going to run. If I could get my hands on more 2712s, and I have a, to- a day that I can hang out at West Coast Archery in Petaluma, I will definitely do that. And I will hack up, you know, I'll cut. If it were up to me, I'd cut a quarter inch off, shoot it, cut a quarter inch off, shoot it, see what it does and just keep running it. But, you know, some people are, are, I think they're running like 30 inches with 250 grain point on their twenty seven twelves. and I was thinking about it, that is not far removed from this arrow because I'm running it at 34 inches. If it's 10 grains per inch, and it's 4 inches longer than a 30-inch arrow, that is 40 grains plus uh, 180 grain point ultimately comes out to 220 grains past 30 you know it's just 220 grain point equivalent but uh it's not it's not because you got this long bendy shaft and i mean that in, not, in the least gross way possible so uh that is my nitty gritty as far as the arrow builds go um i hope this helps you guys i'm really trying to convince rudy my man uh to build something similar, he has always helped me out and built me crazy good arrows if you guys if you don't want to build your own arrows you know I hate to do like an ad spot at this moment, but Rudy builds some damn nice arrows. The best way to get an arrow an unbiased badass arrow is to just take Rudy's arrows <laughs> if you could show up, I think I've taken about maybe. Maybe two dozen arrows from Rudy over the course of the last few years, and they all shoot phenomenal and now I feel like I'm onto something, and I'm trying to convince Rudy to try my arrow builds, but he's such a philistine he won't uh he won't do it but anyway um like uh like my buddy Kenny said speed is a is a thing like yeah, it gets off the bow faster. Um, I also think it flies flatter. Well, I don't think. That's just science. It will fly flatter. I think there is less... Yeah, there's just less. Less bullshit going into that arrow. Um, now, someone's going to say, well, dude, I'm shooting a 325 grain point. What now? Dude, I'll tell you, I've shot the 325 green point and freaking loved it. I think I shot it on a 30-inch arrow, maybe 31, and I freaking loved it. I don't know why I'm not that guy right now. <laughs> but I would bet you, I would bet you if it works for you, it has something to do with your peep pipe follow-through combo. I bet you. I bet you all this stuff is related, which is why you get so many different people running different combinations. You get people running, you know, they're like, oh, this is what works for me. Dude, it makes sense. We're all different. We all got our bow set up different. My head is way bigger than most people's. So my peep sight alignment anchor point is different than most people's. You know, my shoulders are broad, uh, muscular, toned. So, you know, my draw length is different than most people's. I I don't know what to tell you. But um Yeah, I do think there's something to the speed. So, bam. Uh, let's see what else do we got in here. Okay. Another cool couple of um another cool couple of people messaged me. Let me see if I can bring this up. Uh, uh, someone asked, hey man, going to Vegas, should I shoot in the, uh, like what, what division should I be signing up for? Well, if you're a dude and you're an adult, definitely sign up for a men's adult class. Even if you identify as a woman, just because the women's class is just... You know they're gonna they're gonna grind you up and then they're gonna talk shit about you. So just stick to the men's class. Um, I don't care how much you think you look like a woman. <laughs> and this is just not the crowd either. The demographic of people that shoot competitive archery are just not the people you want <laughs> to go identifying as a woman around. Um, you know, and if you do, and you are brave enough to do that, God bless you. You know, I, I think you'll get the support because. I mean even though the demographics not there these people are all pretty nice and by these people I mean archers so uh young young buck shooter said what uh what class do I uh, sign up for uh well I would say flights uh sh- sign up for flights unless you can shoot 300s and you feel very confident in shooting 300s If you can shoot a 300, sign up for championship. Um, That's what I'm doing. I'm going to shoot championship class. The amount of pressure that you feel shooting in the championship class is insane. I remember the last time I shot championship class in Vegas. I thought, I do not like doing this. Why am I doing this? (laughs) That's how bad the pressure was. But if you go with the intention of having fun and you stop thinking that this is your moment to make it, all right, get that out of your head because this is not your last chance. As long as you keep shooting, you have a chance. It's any dog's day as long as you don't quit and you keep shooting. So yeah, you're going to be there and it is going to be a chance to shine, right? But don't put so much pressure on yourself that you fuck it all up. I did this to myself even in flights where I've shot flights and been like, this is it, this is my moment, and just fucking, oh, the pressure was ridiculous. Um, but flights is a good, you know, if you're not shooting 300s or maybe you just shoot once in a while a 300, flights is a good one for you because uh, you can make some money. And I know people are going to be like, "Oh, Wendell's not all about money." I know, I get it, but it's competitive. Also, you get f- the whole thing—the notion of flights—is they stick you with your peers. That's people that shoot like you, and then you compete against people that shoot like you. And yeah, there are sandbaggers that, in existence, you know, uh, where people were will shoot like crap, get into an easy flight, and then fucking smoke it, and take everyone's money. That's out there, Alright? You're never going to get around that. But there's also a high probability that you're just going to land with people that shoot just like you, and it's going to be a competitive grind. And that is what is awesome about flights. Um, again, if you can shoot 300s and you want to get ugly, I mean, you want to get nitty-gritty, go to championship. It, what's cool about that? Is that kind of pressure that makes you want to fucking kill yourself or just stop breathing? I mean, it's hard to get that pressure anywhere else. Uh, I always wanted to say it was like, I don't know, I was going to make some kind of stupid drug reference, but never mind. Anyway, uh, another question. This is so cool. I just want all of you listeners to know I appreciate the questions, all right? It gives me content, it lets me think about things, lets me make an ass of myself a little bit. Um I love the fact that you guys are one listening to my freaking show all the way out in places like Rhode Island, right? Uh I just appreciate it. I appreciate the fact that you guys take your time to listen to me fucking talk about it. I mean, granted this is a sport that we love. But, um, I mean, you're being kind of forced to listen to my archery manifesto. So, uh, I appreciate you guys having the patience with me to just stick it out. All right. I got a message from my buddy, John in Rhode Island. He said, Hey Wendell, thank you for the great podcast. I have a question about target bows. Most of the shops in my area don't carry them. How do you go about selecting one? I'm an average archer, but I'm trying to improve. I currently shoot an elite remedy, about fifty six pounds, and have a twenty seven and a half inch draw. Last time I shot in four hundred fifty league, my score was a four hundred thirty two. So I have a ways to go. At what point would it be good to get a target bow for indoors? Should I wait until I hit a certain score? Well uh alright John. This could go two ways. Yes and no, (laughs) which is like a terrible answer. But basically, you're shooting 56 pounds. So that means you're you're elite. What's it called? The result, I think is what he said. Um, You're at least pulling uh, a a comfortable weight, right? You probably got a very comfortable holding weight, too, if it's a hunting bow. But um, I believe what I wrote to you was there's no better time than now to get a target bow if you want to pursue target archery. There's a couple things that a target bow will give you that um, a hunting bow doesn't have, right? Uh, The longer axle-axle, the stability. They're a little bit slower. um, But you don't need a target bow. Uh, I would definitely... You know, if I were you, that's what I would do. I would, and I know people are going to, you know, I'm always saying support your local shop, but if you're just getting into it, I would try to find a used one from someone who, you know, doesn't abuse their gear. But, um, I, so I always recommend the Matthews bow. And at this moment, if you were going to buy a used target bow, I would recommend a TRX 38, the first gen. If you could get your hands on a G2, fine. Go for it. They're awesome. But the first gen is a perfect shooting platform for cheap, right? You can get them for cheap. They have the top hat system, which is basically you set it and forget it. Um, it's the th- the reason why I really like the Matthews bow. And I can shoot any bow I want, Right? the <laughs> I don't mean to sound like full of myself, but if I wanted to, I could go get a different bow. but I love the Matthews platform. it is simple, and what's great about a simple bow it just lets you focus on shooting, and I think that's what's the the uh, a heavily overlooked thing amongst amateurs um you know, I, I consider myself an amateur, even though I'm a a, a a pro class shooter. I will always consider myself an amateur because I don't. I guess you call it imposter syndrome. I don't feel like a pro. I don't feel like I belong on the line with pros. Um, with that being said, if you get me on the line with a pro, I will do everything I can to take his money away. Um, so yeah, anytime you can do that. Do you need to? No. You do not need 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 a target bow. You do need a freestyle setup, which would be like a lens, adjustable sight, two stabilizers, and uh, a good clarify. You know, not clarifier. Good peep sight. All that crap. Uh, you do need that stuff. The one of the most impressive. Like groups I've ever seen at 50 meters was Kryshov shooting an uh an elite Revol, and I believe the Revol is like a 35 inch axle axle bow, so it's kind of like an in between target hunting bow. I've seen guys post up that you know that hunt with the Revol. I know it's not like everyone's top choice for a hunting bow. He shot a group of arrows at fifty meters where there was no carbon that wasn't touching other carbon shafts. He was shooting a gold tip arrows at the time. Like they were all touching. After seeing that, I was like, holy fuck. Like, you don't need a big axle axle bow. You know? I mean and his draw length is longer too. Like way longer than mine. So him shooting a thirty five inch axle axle is like me shooting a a 33 inch axle axle, I guess, would be the equivalent. So no, you don't need a target bow. If that is your hunting bow, though, I wouldn't go setting it up for target, and then when hunting season comes around, you tear all your freestyle shit off and then reset it up for hunting. If that makes sense. If, if it were me, I would get myself a target bow. And really, you know, I always say the Matthews bow is the the way I would go. You could get whatever you want. And I know that you said the shops don't carry, um, you know, they generally don't carry target bows. They can order them for you. They can still order them for you. Or you can, you know, peruse archery, archery talk, Facebook. I know Facebook's kind of sketch, but if you go to your local club, maybe someone's selling a target bow, you know, and that way there's a face that you can connect to it. Um, any bow will do. Well, I should say any target bow will do, but really your hunting bow will do also, but um just try to keep it simple. Don't overthink it, don't overcomplicate it. The first thing that's gonna happen, you're gonna dive into a target bow. You're gonna dive into the rabbit hole that's like, what's all the stuff that I gotta figure out to do to make this target bow the shit? Do I gotta shim limbs? Do I gotta shim cams? Do I gotta blah blah blah. <laughs> yes and no. (laughs) But yeah, uh, go for it. Get a target bow. Join us. Dive right in. You'll love it. Um, again, shoot whatever. It's always a good idea if all the dudes at the, at the club that you shoot at or the shop that you shoot at, if everyone's shooting one type, one brand of bow, it's not a bad idea to also get that, that brand of bow, Solely because everyone else will probably have worked out all the kinks in that bow. So it'll be very easy for that. Or if you have issues, you know, someone there will have some kind of knowledge to help you out into, uh, you know, fixing that. Uh, Back when I shot at Redwood Bowman, I shot a Hoyt. Like when I first started getting competitive, I shot a Hoyt podium. It's because my coach shot a Hoyt. And... Anytime he had, you know, we would go over timing on our bows at the same. We'd go to the draw board, you know, check our timing together. Uh, we would, you know, shoot through paper. Do we got to yoke tune these things? Or, you know, before a tournament, we would just, we had the exact same process of make, doing like a systems check. Is everything good to go? And because we had the same gear, it was that easy. And if I had a question or an idea, I could bounce it off of them. What do you think about this? What if I, you know, take half twists at or whatever? You know, what if I do an 11-inch? One thing I really liked was doing an 11-inch yoke cable on my uh, podium. Uh, I did that on my Prevail also. And uh, I don't think, I can't remember if Emerson did that also or not. But, you know, it's just one of those things. I got an idea. I'm going to try this thing. What do you think? So I think that's around the time I started shooting the four fifty two undyed string and really, really dug it. That's what I got now. And I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna be switching to anything else anytime soon. Maybe maybe I really like the first string Magnums. Those were cool. They're a little slower. But is it a perceivable amount? Nah, not really. But we'll see. It's crazy because my four fifty two strings still look brand new and they are well shot in. Um <clears throat> so that is the meat and potatoes of tonight's podcast. Uh again, I just wanted to tell you guys that I appreciate you listening. Uh I'm trying to be a little more positive. I know I kinda went crazy on like the Greg Poole bullshit last week, and there's really no reason for that, you know? Greg Poole's not hurting anyone. Well, not hurting anyone right now, but um you know, he's got his opinions. Is he is he wrong most definitely? Is you know, is it my place to call him out? No. Am I going to do it? Yeah, I'm bored. Of course. And uh for anyone that was looking for a more positive episode, I'm sorry. I'm going to try to be more positive. I have a feeling I'm going to be saying this a lot. <laughs> Or I say a bunch of like really uncool shit? <laughs> oh man, I, I oh I always have these like these thoughts. Like, man, I just talked a bunch of shit about this dude who's like way bigger than me, and you know, I'm out of shape. I'm in. I have what I, what I call an archer's body. You know, I don't exercise. I've done. I've done jiu-jitsu for like three years. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I've done kickboxing for like three or four years. Does that mean I could defend myself? Maybe. Maybe. If I was in like. Malaysia. And the guy I was fighting was malnourished. And like four foot ten. Could I defend myself against Greg Poole? You know. Maybe. But. That guy's forearms are so big, I would hate to get punched by that dude. I'd probably just have to uh probably have to just call the cops and talk shit. I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? You never know. It's any dog's day. It's any dog's day. I've I've gotten into my fair scraps and I've definitely walked away from fights where uh, the dude was much bigger than me, so not saying I ever want to fight Greg Poole. Good god, no. <laughs> Maybe um someone out there can defend me. Um, let's see. One more thing I wanted to talk about was your mental game. And I'm not going to go into Joel Turner stuff, right? This is just basic with winning in mind 101. There's also a book called Think and Shoot Like a Champion. And I think it's also by the same dude. You know, his name's Lanny Basham. Like Lanny, L-A-N-N-Y. Not Lanny. Not Lenny, like uh, Carl's friend from The Simpsons. Lanny. Um, so Think and Shoot Like a Champion is another book it's worth checking out um, I wanted to talk about the mental game and the expectations you put on yourself now this can be this can go both ways and I'm probably going to quote some stuff that's out of context and tell you it's in context but um, when you're going to go shoot with your friends say you're gonna going to have a practice day and you're going to shoot some indoor. When you step up to the line, or even before, maybe when everyone's putting their gear together, do you have it in your mind that out of the four or five people that you're with, that you are the weakest link, do you have it in your mind that you're going to be the lowest score? Um, if so, I just want to tell you that it's a limiting thought, and that by now, you should know that I, one thing that I preach is that it's always any dog's day. It's anybody's day. And it's one of the beautiful things about archery. Um, a good example is my boy Nick Ingham placing second at the Idaho Open. I mean, he's beat, he was beating some big wig pros, man. Some some big hairy apes out there. Some monsters he beat to get to the, to that spot. And, uh, not to put Nick down at all, cause Nick's a great shooter, but I think if you were, if it was Vegas betting, most people wouldn't have voted, wouldn't have put their money on Nick and they would have lost it cause Nick fucking took it. I just want you guys to know, uh, you should go into, and even if you're just practicing with your friends and it's going to be like, Hey, who's going to put down scores and talk some shit? You got to ha- put your money on yourself and and don't think that you're going to be behind anybody because uh, you never know. They might have a bad day and uh, if they're having a bad day, you got to capitalize. And uh, <clears throat> one thing that I can't remember who told me this, but it's like when you're shooting against somebody, it's a weird thing because... It's archery. You're really just shooting against yourself. Right? So if you're shooting against someone, you're hoping they fuck up so that you can relax. But you still have to shoot middle. You still have to shoot good. It's safe to assume that your opponent is going to shoot clean. They're going to shoot at 300. And in the age of nowadays, if you got Blake Jerome there it's gonna be clean <laughs> you gotta you know assume assume your opponent's gonna shoot clean what is that what what's left for you then well, I can tell you right now it's to shoot clean and uh if you can't get as close to clean as possible and uh yeah i i can't my I, I had a friend a long time ago I shot Redding with uh I think it was during an outlaw. Or I can't remember. It was something. No, it was a SoCal showdown. He was shooting against Alex Whiffler, And I was like, oh, dude, send Alex Whiffler home. You know? At the time, I wasn't a big fan of Alex Whiffler, Not for any reason other than the dude loves to drop names. I hope I don't do that. But anyway, I was like, send this mama's boy home this goofy looking super bad extra mama's boy Send his ass home and my buddy did and i was like oh dude i was like were you nervous he goes yeah a little bit but he's like what are you gonna do he's like we're americans we're gonna fight it out to the end and i, I always stuck with me you know it, it's it's like nowadays many people aren't proud to be american for whatever stupid reason you can always think of that like Americans fight it out to the bitter end. <laughs> and we're Americans. So don't sit there and think like, I, you know, I can't do it or I'm going to try, but it's not going to be the best. You know, I'm not going to put anything good down. Fight it out to the bitter end and put down the best score you can. Do it every time and that number will get better. You know, a bunch of stuff's going to come with that too. When you, you're going to get good. You're, you're going you're to shoot a, beyond your ability. And then you have to, you're going to put a score down that's, that's a new high score. You're going to have to not let that infiltrate your brain. I know, I'm getting way out in the weeds here. But basically, be positive. Go in there. Have faith in yourself. Be ready to bet on yourself. Put money on yourself. It's the one thing that I really, oh, it's another thing that I really love about the outlaws. You're basically betting on yourself and your homie and your teammate, my homie. And uh, yeah, well, what's better than uh, what's better than putting money on yourself and having faith that you're going to win it back? Plus, um, anyway, rambling on long enough. All right, Let me close this episode out. <clears throat> this weekend. Is it this weekend? October 24th, Sunday. Fall Harvest 3D Shoot at Diablo Bowman. 42 targets, 35 Reinhardt, 7 Paper Mark Yardage. No spots. No spots. This is not a safari event. This is a 3D event. Two arrows per target. Um, all the classic styles that you can think of. Everything from freestyle to Bear bow. Awards for all classes. Um, You got a pre-register. Uh, I man the the pre-registration is a funky address, but basically go to B- Diablo Bowman, Diablo Bowman, Diablo Bowman dot org. <laughs> it's like a little bit difficult. Um, twenty two twenty five dollars. It's a fun shoot. I've never done it before. I've done the boo shoot, which is what they used to have, which was a safari event because I just could not get enough of safari at the time. Um, what else do we got? The Yahi Bowman fall fling, October 23rd, 2021. If you were, if you were a hungry savage, you would go to the Yahi Bowman shoot, which I think is Modesto. I have shot here before and I've won whatever little shoot they had. And I did not get a belt buckle. They have a 2021 fall fling champion belt buckle if anyone knows me, knows the only thing that can like really coax me out for shooting, other than money, is a belt buckle. I freaking love buckles. Um, it's one of the cool, another cool thing about our sport. Anyway, Yahi Bowman, Bowman Fall Fling, October twenty third, twenty twenty one, nine a.m. start, seven thirty a.m. registration, twenty eight three D North American animal targets. Last person standing shoot-off for the high score in each class. One buckle will be awarded to the last person standing in compound and one for traditional archers. So it looks like it's just compound and trad. So a freestyle guy is going to take it. (laughs) Um, Bam. Pretty cool. If you were hungry enough, you could... And you lived somewhere in Northern California... Maybe it's in central California. It would be northern California. You could drive to the Yahi Bowman shoot on Saturday. Tear it up. Get a belt buckle that looks really cool. And then uh, drive to, on Sunday, Diablo uh, Mount Diablo for the Diablo Bowman 3D shoot. Um, again, this is outdoor stuff. Most people are converting to indoor Except for the chosen who are going to Jordan pretty soon. That's gonna be exciting. My boys are going. My homies are going. Uh otherwise? There's some indoor events coming up. Uh the A B Invitational, which is uh Alan Brunetta, uh Matthews Pro. He always puts on a shoot. Up here, it's an invitational, so only like 16 people are on the list to get this invite only. Um, Sucks for everyone that wants to shoot it but can't because they're not on the list. But it's a really tight, it's like a cramped, I mean, it's not cramped, but the area that they're holding the tournament won't accommodate like 30 effing people. It's got to be a smaller smaller, uh, roster. Ya boy, Wendell Souza, is on the list. So I will cover it, let you guys know how it's going. Coyote 600 is coming up the 30th of this month. I am so excited to shoot that event. I hope to see you guys there. Um, Let's see, the AB Invitational, I believe, is November 21st. It's November something. I can't quite remember. Unless you're on the list, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll I'll cover it, though. You guys can c- follow along with me. Uh, you guys can listen to find out, am I just blowing steam or can I actually shoot? We'll see. I don't quite know. Impact Archery is having the Central Valley open Sunday, January 9th, 2002. Two, 330 rounds on a Vegas three-spot target. Um, the spot is also having an indoor... Um, Money shoot on Saturday the January eighth uh, just so you guys know if you're hungry and you want to get some, come on through uh, one of the best ways to get better at archery is to get into some high pressure situations, and this is them like I'm telling you about them right now i just I just spilled the guts on four of them, so <clears throat> hopefully I'll get to see you guys out there i've been rambling long enough. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the good people at D B Custom Coatings. The Sarah Coders out of Napa, California. They did Casey Cawford's bow that was seen in the Olympics. They've done Chris Schoff's hunting arrow outserts. They've done every bow that I've won anything with. Uh what else? I think Rudy's white bow might have been Sarah Coded. Uh they do good work. They're they're awesome. Uh, they do some wicked. Like if you don't want to do a solid color, you could get camo. You could get uh, you you get my face sara on on the side of your bow if there's enough surface area. Um, yeah, hit them up. Get some cool stuff done. Like uh, Darren does stabilizers. He does. Uh, risers. I think he's figured out a way to do limbs now. I think there's a certain type of coat that they don't bake. that they, they just air cure. And so they can do limbs, I think. Um, yeah, don't quote me on all that. But uh, DB Custom Coatings, they are my friends. They are big supporters of the podcast. They are competitors like you. They love the sport. So uh, if you see them, hit them up. Get your, get your shit uh, colorized. And uh, last but not least... Carbon craft stabilizers. My good friends out of Fresno uh, have been engineering a stiff, light stabilizer. The uh, carbon craft bar is the bomb. Uh, as far as I can tell, it is the stiffest for its weight, and it's very light. Um, it's a great bar. It's it's basically the all around. Stabilizer. I I think it's like a doinker, but I'm not sure how much doinkers weigh. In my mind, right now, it is like a doinker. I've never gotten to shoot a doinker, but it's like a lightweight spider bar, basically. You guys all remember spider stabilizers? They just like those, only lightweight, and they they come with an X-rated sticker because the uh, owner of the company has a sense of humor like that. Uh, you can, if you are so interested in these. They, some of them have a tungsten end cap that I believe is six ounces.